This is Brian Billick. I'm joined by my partner, Dennis Green, and welcome to the Coaches Show podcast presented by Bud Light. It's the sure sign of a good time. Here we go. Major house cleaning in Indianapolis today. The Colts have fired Vice Chairman Bill Polian and also General Manager Chris Polian. They finished the season 2-14 and 14 without quarterback Peyton Manning. I mean, every owner has a right to do what he wants to do. Uh, it has been a general manager's league, but I think with the vice chairman, I don't know what a vice chairman is, different between vice chairman for yeah. Bill Foley and a vice president, but that is a very surprising and move. And this is substantial because we, we've talked about how it's become a general manager's league, and, and because it's become a general manager's league, that bullseye kind of shifts to them a little bit. It used to be primarily the coaches. There is no bigger nor more prominent with more authority than Bill Polian, with the run that he's had. This is huge. It's substantial. Uh, we haven't seen page two on this yet. We saw the uh, the uh, uh, news conference with the owner, Jim Ursay. We don't know what the fate of right. Jim Caldwell is, and it's kind of hard to sort through. The one thing I think we are certain of, Peyton Manning is a major presence in this process. Well, I think he's in charge because, you know, what – they said to us, Jim Ursay said, we'll see what happens with Jim Caldwell. Everybody expected Jim Caldwell to be fired, but I think by him saying, hey, we'll see what we're going to do about Jim Caldwell, it depends on who the general manager is, then it also means we'll see what we're going to do about that number one pick that we earned with that 2-14 and 14 record. We'll see how we're doing with that pick. Breaking news to report out of St. Louis, Fox Sports and NFL Network's Jay Glazer reporting that the Rams have, in fact, fired their head coach, Steve Spagnuolo. Yeah, Raheem Morris was just informed within the last 15 minutes or so that he has been fired. I have league and team sources telling me uh, that that's the case and the Tampa Bay Bucks will now move forward. Well, here we go indeed, Denny. It's, uh, I'm dressed all in black in honor of our bro- coaching brethren because it is Black Monday. It's, it's changed a little bit. It used to be more dramatic specifically on Mondays. It kind of gets drawn out now. But we've already had two dismissals in, in Steve Spagnola in St. Louis and Raheem Morris in Tampa Bay. Yeah, you know what? And I think that was expected in, in Spagnoli, but also the general manager, Billy Devaney, was fired. And that is the big difference. You don't always have that happening, but I think it's a sign that St. St. Louis expects to, as they say, clean house. And, and so the idea is that, you know, last year Steve had a pretty good year. This year he didn't. And, and nowadays I guess you only get one bad chance. You get one year to start. If you hit it pretty good in the second year and, and Rasheed Morris did pretty good the second year, yeah, did. so does Steve Magnoli. Then if you slip in the third year and injuries can make you slip in the third year, that's it. And that's what happened with both guys. Well, like you always said, Denny, you know, if you're 10 and 6, well, when did you win the 10 and when did you lose the 6? Yeah. You know, and Steve Spagnola is a good man um, and, and, and is a good football coach. But when you go 10 and 38, obviously a 2 and 14 season, their opening, I had their opening game of the season. Uh, it was Philadelphia at St. Louis. And you looked at that opening schedule of theirs, which was replete with the NFC East. Right. It was a murderer's row. And this is a team that did not have a lot of receivers to begin with. They're a suspect in the secondary. Uh, They had a new offensive coordinator. Josh McDaniel came in with no offseason, totally changing what had been a West Coast-based system under Pat Shermer, who then became the head coach of Cleveland. Um, A lot of things were stacking up against it. And this was a confident team coming in, but you could just see, boy, this was going to be a real challenge for Steve Spagnuolo. Well, I think the the coordinator change to Josh McDaniel is the most significant one because I've just always believed that if you're going to be with the system, you need that lineage. And and I think that Pat Shermer had come in with the West Coast offense. The the quarterback uh, had had – 
prospered in it. Uh, so Bradford had done well in it. And so then when you lose him, you have to say, okay, if I'm going to do well, I'm going to lose my coordinator. Who's going to be the next best guy? And so that's what, what they should have been looking at already. Spagnoli, Devaney should have been saying, hey, when I lose this guy, this is who I'm going with. This is a guy I'm looking to. And if he might be gone, this is a guy I'm looking to. But I don't think you change the system, and that's what happened. And I think you change the system, get a few other things go wrong, and you have total, total collapse. And that's what happened. This was a team, not only was it a 2-14 and 14 team, it wasn't a very pretty 2-14 and 14 Yeah, team. you always, and I learned that from you in terms of that ascension from within. Because you're right, if you bring a coordinator from the outside, he naturally is going to say, well, i got to run my system. I can't teach what I don't know. Right. When I was in Baltimore, obviously I had Marvin Lewis, and I knew Marvin was going to get a head job. I had Mike Nolan in reserve. I even made Mike Nolan my receivers coach. I wanted him on my staff so bad in the anticipation I might lose Marvin. So then Mike Nolan steps in. I have Rex Ryan. I knew that's where I was going to go when Mike Nolan, and I thought Mike had the chance to become right. a head coach because I wanted that continuity and how good we were defensively, and you've got to look ahead. Everybody, as you always told me, everybody's got to bring something to the table on this staff. Right. It can't all be the same personality. Somebody that you recognize, okay, if, if I lose this guy, who can I come from within? And and you're right. And I can't I can't fault Steve Spagnuolo for not not going for going with Josh McDaniel. He liked what he saw. He wanted to tap into the at lineage and the Bill Belichick thing a little bit. But to do that going into the third year with right. a third year quarterback who had been used to a system for two years, that was a roll of the dice that obviously came up craps. And I think also when you consider that you didn't have the typical March first, you can start working right. with these guys and weight training and everybody's around. With the lockout on top of it, they start learning this system who knows when, maybe June, maybe July, according to the rules, August. Let's talk a little bit about where they go now because they have let go of the GM as well. So it's a clean slate. Uh, the question I always have, obviously, is, okay, when you do that, right, wrong, it is what it is, all right, who is making the decisions now and how you're going to put this thing together? Now, the conventional thing says, I'll go get a general manager, and then he's going to pick that coach. Now, you and I are coaches, and we may be biased here, right. but I, I'm, I'm confounded sometimes. Why not? This is a partnership. You know, and, and whether it's a coach with a coordinator like you and I had, whether it's a coach with a GM or a president, it's so multidimensional. It's got to be a legitimate partnership. Why not put that partnership together from the get-go rather than say, well, I'll hire this guy and he'll hire the other guy. Right. Um, why not put that partnership together from the get-go? Well, I think that's what you should do, but I think this could be the year. There's been so much said about what's going to happen and how we're going to make changes and how we're going to get well once the collective bargaining agreement is handled. Once we get that CBA done, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And that's why I think they've got this case where Brian Billick, yourself, you're looking, and, and not saying you're looking, but you're not working right now coaching. Bill Cowher is not coaching right now. Drew's not coaching right now. Jeff Fisher's not coaching right now. These guys are not coaching right now, and these are guys, yourself included, that it can come in and help the owner get the right GM. See, the owner can't get the right GM right now, in my opinion. I don't think he can get the right GM at the Rams and then expect that right GM to get the right coach. I don't think it'll happen that way. I think he's going to have to now come in and if not get the same guy to do both, which is still not unheard of, used to be done quite a bit, at least get that, that well-known coach, whether it be a Jeff Fisher or whoever, 
to then help him to get the right general manager. And it's going to be crucial because they have really, not only have they stumbled to a 2-14 and 14 record, but the crowds were way down. The fans became very disillusioned. They're a long way from the greatest show on turf, and I think they have to have a real good slap of water in the face to get going. And I don't think the Rams are that far away. I like what I see in Sam Bradford. They're in a division, the NFC West, even though San Francisco was dominant this year, um, in, in a very winnable division that can be turned fairly quickly. Because as we both know in the NFL, boy, it's it's got to happen quick. They look around and they see, I'm talking about ownership now, and they see the success that uh, a first-year coach might have. They look around and see the success, say, of a Mike Smith and a Thomas Dimitrov. And that was an interesting combination that I think is the prototype of what you and I are talking about. Arthur Blank, who obviously built Home Depot, kind of did it the quote-unquote NFL way for a while. didn't go real well. And and Mr. Blank finally said, look, I I know how to put an organization together. And I'm going to look at the field of head coaches that I think could be pretty good. I'm going to look at the field of general managers. And I'm going to kind of piece a couple together and say, look, can you guys work together? We'll create a chain of command here. That doesn't, you know, you've got to have that who's accountable for this, who's accountable for that. He kind of pieced that together and he came up aces with Mike Smith and Thomas Dimitrov because he put it together the way he kind of put Home Depot together. Uh, And so uh, at some point, ownership has to go through that evolution sometimes, uh, and, and that may be where the Rams are right now. Let's, let's look at a different situation. Raheem Morris in Tampa Bay, now they've got a general manager in Dominic, if I'm not mistaken, right. that is still in place, at least as of well, this broadcast. In fact, broadcast. He, got, he got a new contract. Okay. So, so he got an extension. So now you have an existing general manager, and they've right. said, okay, we're comfortable with this aspect of it. Raheem Morris, and I love Raheem Morris. I've had a number of their games. I love his passion for the game. Very close to the players. I, you know, he was one of those guys that, that was trying to be head coach and the defensive play caller, young coach learning the ropes that way with a very young team. That combination ended up being lethal. Uh, So now let's look at what Tampa Bay does going forward, all but now a little bit different model because they've got the GM in place. And they do, and I think with the GM in place, it's going to be his call. And I think what he has to look is, and he almost have the anti-Rashim. In other words, very unusual for Rashim to be doing the defensive coordinator. I mean, you know, Rex does it, a few other guys do it, but very rarely has that been done. Now he's got to come in there, and the fans have turned on him. The fans, not only have they not had a good year after last year's improvement, they've not done well with the crowds. And so now he's got to come in and say, okay, who can I get? I don't have a high-profile quarterback. I don't have a high-profile offense. Can I get a high-profile coach who's been maybe very successful offensively or has a reputation offensively and I think that's the move that that he has to make it now with his four-year contract he's there he settled in now they're saying all right fix this and and they didn't wait I mean I thought maybe they might wait a day or two some of the teams will wait a day or two clearly evaluate it but I think when you make a move the first day like the Rams did when you make a move the first day like Tampa did, that's when you say, hey, we know we've seen enough. We've got to have this break. And I think they'll have two different contrasts. One, with the Rams losing both the general manager and the head coach, and Tampa with the GM secure with the new contract and now an opening on offense. And they got to move fast. If they want the guy they want to have an impact exactly on the crowds, right. they've got to move fast. And that's the part that is that is, I think, lost on some teams and some ownerships in the sense that, You've got to understand, yes, you'd love to say, okay, let's sit back, let's the emotion, let the emotion of the season go by, because no decisions are made good when they're done emotionally. Right. Let's get analytical about it. Let's decide what we want to do. Okay, if you want to make the change, you make the change, and, and let's dole this thing out. But the problem is, you're not just hiring a head coach. This guy 
it becomes a competitive market, particularly right. as these jobs start to open up here over the next couple of days. You're scrambling around for the coveted coordinators, position coaches. We all have our list of guys that right. we want to bring in, and you may miss out on the structure you want to put together because you've doled this process out long enough. Right. I applaud, and again, I don't applaud any coach getting fired. I love Raheem Morris. I've had a number of his games. I love his passion. He's a good young coach. He's going to get another shot at some point because he's got that presence about him, and he'll grow and mature continue to do that in the NFL. So I'm never in favor of a coach being fired. But if you're going to do it, I, I, I applaud those two organizations saying, let's get about the business now, Of and, and we recognize we are at risk, particularly if uh, you know you get pushed behind the eight ball because we know the markets. You get former right. head coaches. You look at the college uh, landscape, not a lot out there. Okay, I'm going to go the coordinator route. Well, some of those coordinators may be guys that are on existing teams in the playoffs. That's going to back me up Absolutely. a little bit. So the whole dynamic of it, I at least applaud the fact that they have a sense yeah, this probably has some sense of urgency to it. Let's go. But you know what? I, I'm not I'm not as impressed as I should be though with Carl Peterson. You know, not I mean, in my mind, yeah. Carl Peterson should have been named the president or GM today. Yeah, whatever and you're gonna do, do after, it. Do it and especially because that job was open. I mean, I was not in favor of letting the coach go. You let him go, well, now make your move, make Carl the guy, and then I think that gives you a chance tomorrow for Carl to say, okay, Bill Cowher's going to be my coach. I mean, if that's going to happen. I'm still not convinced, though, that the NFL is going to have enough guts to get a Billig or a Cowher or a Fisher or Gruden. Maybe yes, maybe not. But I think if if Miami would have done that today, I would be more confident that that the guys, you know, and I'm not hurting any feelings, but some of the guys that that didn't have the experience. I used to say sometimes some of these guys have training wheels on that were learning on the job that now go get your guy who already knows what he's going to do. That didn't happen today yet. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting. Well, when we had the dismissal in Jacksonville, in Kansas City, um, uh, and uh, I'm drawing Miami. in Miami, one thing I did applaud, and again, you and I are, are lifelong coaches, Denny, so it's never a good day. This time of year is tough, as you know, that either you or someone you care about is, and it's not just head coaches, it's assistant coaches, the lives, their lives, their children's lives, their families are disrupted, and it's a tough emotional time. And people you care about are in that position oh, right absolutely. now, and it's tough on you in the coaching fraternity. But what I did applaud, okay, you were decisive about deciding to make a change, right or wrong. You now have, at the time, four, five, six weeks to ramp up, to get 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 about the business of putting whatever it is you want to put together, whatever right. course, right. head coach, coordinator, whatever you want to do, set the landscape and go. Have you really done that? And, and, and how can you sit here uh, all but it's tough, but on Black Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, draw this thing out? What, what are you waiting for? Well, you, what call, phone calls have you not made? You just got caught. Miami and Jacksonville and Kansas City just got caught because there are two other teams, unfortunately, that coaches go now. It isn't just those three. There's five jobs open now. And I don't and know it's going to grow. Well, it's going to grow even more, unfortunately. So. I want to look here for Burris on the right side as Sanchez drops back to throw. Backpedaling, throwing, and it's intercepted. Marvin Mitchell on the return to the 40. He's to the 50. Cuts inside at the 40 and finally brought down by Mark Sanchez. A 65-yard return from Marvin Mitchell. They're going to kill him 
in New York. Let's move on to, to uh, uh, you know, watching the games yesterday and, and uh, the New York Jets. And obviously their unexpected loss, you can't call it anything but that, to the Miami Dolphins. Their need to come into the last game, it's always, if you can have, not that you had your fate in your hands because New York had to have some other things happen, but it all begins with you got to win. Right. Now, all but the unique circumstance of Cincinnati getting in, as did Denver after losing because of the convoluted, but the New York Jets had to win. That There was no scenario where they could lose and get into the playoffs, and they're playing the Miami Dolphins, a team that is in flux, that's going to get a new coach, and uh, they get eliminated by the Miami Dolphins. And Rex Ryan was very emotional, naturally. Let's talk about where they go now, because Rex coached me for a number of years. Rex, and of all the cities to be in, in New York, the bravado, first off, I know Rex, that's not going to change. Right. And and so now, as he goes forward, for me, and, and you're familiar with it, I am, he, he now has to become a true head coach. This We're in this together. My players got my back. The coaches, we're all fighting this together. He now has to make some decisions where he's going to separate himself from some of those players and coaches. Well, he has to, and I think he starts with offensively. Number one, who is going to be my offense coordinator? Is Brian Schottenheimer going to remain in this job? And can we be more productive offensively? Is Mark Sanchez going to remain as a starting quarterback? Those are the decisions he has to make about two people, his offense coordinator and his quarterback. And I don't think either one of them are going to be easy decisions because I think there are pluses and minuses both ways. There are a team that has said we'll win because we can hit them in the mouth. We can be more physical. We can't wait to get on the field and play defense. We can't wait to get on the field and cause turnovers and create opportunities. And then we're going to go out and be really ground and pound and be very successful running the football. And then when we have to, we've got this first-round pick. Uh, He's going to be a great guy. He's going to be great for the city of New York and on and on and on. And now, three years later, it still hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where the difficulty is going to be. And he's going to have a very tough time deciding. I assume he's going to decide fast. I don't know what role the owner makes in it. I don't know what what role Tannenbaum makes it as a general manager. I don't know if this is strictly his call, but you better believe that the media is all over. What are you going to do about the coordinator, and how are you going to handle the quarterback situation? How do you make him better if you keep him, or how do you make the move to to, to move on? And I don't see how you move on with the quarterback, so the question remains what do you do about the Coordinator. You know, I when 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 I sat with with one of our mentors, God rest his soul, Bill Walsh, and we wrote the book, The Winning Edge, and and Bill made as Bill typically would uh, the analogy that he said, you know, you go through coaching, and it's a little like admiring an, a work of art. When you're a position coach, you're up close. You're right there. You can see the textures. You can smell the paint. You can see the colors because you need to be that close to your players. Then as a coordinator, you step back a little bit, still close to the players, a little broader view, which you've got to have. Now, when you're a head coach, you really step back from it. You have to have the broader vision. Now, you miss being close up to the players. But as a head coach, you have that obligation both with your coaches and your players. Raheem is in this position. I think Rex finds himself. He's so close to the players and coaches, but now he's in a position going into year four. He's going to have to make some decisions that separates him from that closeness. Those are hard to do, but you lose some of that, hey, we're in this together. Right. Well, the thing that we've always said is we can't afford to be to say we're all in together. We are, but we aren't. Because I might have to cut your best friend, you know, his wife and your wife, you know, might go to Bible study together. And I let this guy go. There are going to be times as a head coach, you're going to be the bad guy. And you're going to be the bad guy because you're going to be forced to do what is best for the team. And only you can make that call. So in this case, only Rex Ryan can make the call that says, look, yeah, we were eight and eight. 
We were a better team than that. I think most people say that. And the way we have things are fine. There were some things that were unique to the game that happened that hurt us. But I like my coordinator. I think we can do fine with Ryan. I like our quarterback. I think we can do fine with Mark Sanchez. We're not going to make any major changes there. We can go on. Only he can say that. And he can also be the only one that can say, I'm going to make some changes in that structure. Yeah, something happened in the game, obviously. Santonio Holmes had some issues. Players were calling him out. Uh, Rex got put in a situation not unlike um, Hugh Jackson did. We talked about when you're the primary play caller, whether it's offensively or defensively, and have to be the head coach, we see it with Jason Garrett and some of the criticisms people have about doing both those jobs. Rex calls the defense. Hugh Jackson calls it in, in Oakland. And we talked about Hugh Jackson after the game as a head coach when they probably should have gone for two points and, and, and kind of messed that up. Uh, after the game, he said, well, there was a lot going on. Well, that's not the right answer as a head coach. It, right. You know, you've got to have a structure in place. If you're not going to make that decision, you have to have people around you that put you in that mode because, right. yeah, we both called plays. And, yeah, that's an all-encompassing, you know, you're in, you're in the tunnel, you know, and all you can see is straight ahead. Someone's got to open up that vision for you. Rex, when asked about why Santonio Holmes was out of the game, it was, well, I don't know. Someone else made that decision. Well, right. that – that's not right. That's not right. the answer that the organization needs, and that shows me that he then now has to find that proper structure because as the head coach, uh, it's your job to know those things are well, going Well, the, the key question, one word, why? You know, uh, why? Why? And and someone's got to say if it was because he wasn't doing what they said he was. I know there was some discussion about the huddle. Some of the guys in the huddle didn't want him in the huddle. Some of the guys in the huddle implied that he wasn't working as hard. Uh, he acted like uh, maybe he uh, that they didn't want him in the huddle. If they didn't want to be in the huddle, he's not going to be in the huddle. But he still, you know, he was sitting down. He wasn't even there trying to move the ball, and he's not standing up on the sidelines ready to go in. He's sitting down on, on, the, on the bench. And so I just think that those are the things that happen when you're not winning, when you're not right. meeting your expectations. As I say, all heck breaks loose, and there's a certain amount of chaos. And that's what happened yesterday, along with the fact that the Jets were in the game the whole time that they had unexpected, kind of goofy uh, interceptions and turnovers, then that made it more difficult. But uh, this is a case now, again, you know, Holmes was the captain. He was the co-captain of the football team, so he's expected to be a leader, and that was not the right ending. It it just was more of a distraction of what took place in the locker room at a time when there wasn't very much that was able to be explained. And that's where that distinction of the head coach, I, I told the story many times I had an Atlanta game, Mike Smith, who is of the mold of, I got my coordinators, I'll orchestrate the game, and then I'm going to turn the play calling of the defense and the offense over to my coordinators. And I had a game, it was a third and three or four, maybe it was a fourth and three or four, in Detroit, on the road, critical play, they're going for it. So I think it was a fourth down. And I, we had the camera on him, and you can see, Mike, they're running on a critical play, and to the right of him, on the standing next to him on the sideline, was Roddy White, and on the other side was Tony Gonzalez. And you see Mike look at Roddy, look at Tony, and then go, timeout. <laughs> and you know the conversation was immediately, Mike Malarkey, why is Roddy White and Anthony Gonzalez right. standing next to me? Right. That's being a head coach. Right or wrong, you know, getting to that point and what they do, but that's being the head coach, and that's why. And you look at the landscape today. Let's look at the 12 teams that are in the playoffs. There is no one-size-fits-all. No. Because you have three of the teams that are run by 
who what were primarily offensive guys. That's how they got the job. Four of them are defensive guys. Four of them are former head coaches. Of the 12, only three have guys that are the primary play caller and the head coach. So what does that tell me? There's a lot of different ways to right. do this because these are the successful teams this year. Sure. But you've got to have a definitive structure as to what your what is your obligation. I call it the 3 a.m. rule. What are you thinking about at 3 a.m.? Yeah. If you're thinking about do I put the fullback in the flat, well, you're near the offensive coordinator. If you're thinking about when do I call this timeout, who's going to be on my 46-man roster, now you're the head coach. Right. And, and that's why even the guys that are not calling plays – you know, those guys absolutely, though, are involved. In other words, they're asking, you know, or, or saying that whole thing, hey, we're going to go for it if we get there in fourth down. We're going to kick a field goal up, get it down in short yardage, uh, four down territory, all those things that have to take place. Even if you're not calling plays, you have to be in the game, and it's the same thing personnel-wise. Who's going to rush? Uh, hey, get a speed rusher in there. I mean, we got big linemen in there. They're not, they're not going to run. The big linemen are to stop the run. The fast guys are to stop the pass. Get four guys. We don't so so make him play tackling. Let's go. I mean, you don't have time to have a discussion. No. All you know is you need four guys on the field that can chase the quarterback, and you better get it done right now. I don't care if we prepared it or not. That's part of what takes place in the kind of excitement? I worked for you for 10 years, man, and you were so great to work for because of the latitude you gave me. But I know on game day, when I heard that, Brian, 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 I thought, okay, there's something I've missed. He's, there's something he's seeing he wants, and you'd get right to it. And, and, and you love that because you realize that, that that's what the head coach's job was. 35 seconds. Here come the Giants out of the huddle. Last play of the ball game coming up. Manning takes a snap, takes a knee, and for the eighth time in their storied history, The New York football Giants have won the NFC East and are going to the playoffs for the first time since 2008. A resounding 31-14 victory over the Dallas Cowboys. Let's move on to, uh, obviously, win and you're in, otherwise you're out. The Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants, huge game. Uh, You know, we talked about the mental toughness of the New York Giants uh, last week that might make the difference, and I think that's clearly what happened in this game. I think they were a mentally tougher team than the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I think they are, but what kills me, I think, about Dallas is just the fundamentals. I mean, they just yeah. – they give up so many big plays, and, and that was – I don't know if the Giants had that kind of team where they could have just grounded out because they weren't running the ball as well as they normally do. But, you know, big play and a big play, and, and uh, I think fundamentally uh, the issue with, with the Dallas Cowboys is – is are we going to allow Jason Garrett to be the head coach? Meaning, is he going to be in charge of the team, whether it be offense and defensive coordinator? Does he have to be the play caller? Does he have to be the offensive coordinator? I mean, right now he's probably quarterback coach, offense coordinator, you know, head coach, uh, passing coordinator. I mean, I think he's wearing too many hats. Team psychologist. <laughs> wearing way too many hats. And I think when it, when it kind of catches up to him. So, you know, just like we said before, you know, about who's who's going to make this call to Jets, we're talking about the opposite now. Are we going to stay, Pat, with our defense coordinator, Rob Ryan? Is that our defense coordinator? And if he isn't, who's going to make the call for the new defensive coordinator? Does uh, Jerry – is Jerry going to give Jason Garrett – the confidence that he can go out and make that call. I'm a head coach. I can do stuff. I I know the game. I want to hire my own offense coordinator. Maybe it is Rob Ryan. I'm not saying it isn't. I can have. Can I hire my own receiver coach? I mean, you have to give that guy the, the latitude to make those calls. Because then everybody else says, "Okay, there goes our man, the head coach. He's in charge." Right. And 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 I don't know that Dallas. I don't know if you put it to me. Who has the better talent? If I, you, if you could give me the choice of just the talent, the fifty-three man roster of the Dallas Cowboys, the fifty-three man roster of the New York Giants, 
I'm not sure I don't choose Dallas. There's pluses and minuses for both. But clearly New York was a mentally tougher team, and I think to a degree, like we talked before, there's no question who's in charge in New York. Tom Coughlin's going to set the mode. That's his job. And just what you're talking about, that Jason Garrett or Jerry Jones, what is that structure? And the players are going to respond, obviously, to, you know, like we said last week, when they cross that white line on the field, there's got to be that guy in the huddle. I don't care if it's Ray Lewis. I don't care if it's your quarterback, Ed Reed for me in, in, in Baltimore, whether it's an Eli Manning. They've got to respond to that guy. When they cross that white line and come onto the sideline, they have to respond to the assistant coaches, certainly. But at the end of the day, there has to be that singular voice of the head coach in a critical situation. This is what we're doing. They don't have that in Dallas, and, and they haven't for a while now. And I think Jerry Jones, and again, he has the right to do it any way he wants. They have lots of success, obviously, but the structure they have right now, in my opinion, neuters the head coach to where he's not getting what the results that he wants, and he has to consider the structure that he has in place. Yeah, I think structure and, and look at it and make up their mind. Finally, I'm going to tell you, I'm pissed at my team. At some point in time, as a group of men, you go in the game, and you can say whatever you want about coaches, you win the game. Here's your time. Here's your time to make some plays. And uh, we, didn't get them, we didn't get them stopped. And we make enough plays. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pissed at the team. I'm also going, like I tell them, I also always put it on me. But I am pissed at my team because when you have those kind of opportunities, you got to do it. And we can do it. Let's move on to, again, another team that was a very disappointing. And near neck of the woods, the Chargers had a big win against Oakland. Uh, you know, obviously, we'll see how it folds, unfolds for North Turner. But Oakland, uh, in, in such an opportunity now to get back into the playoffs, um, they did not uh, did not play well very against very well against San Diego, uh, and and in fact for the first time, uh, uh, Hugh Jackson post game seemed to be kind of throwing his guys under the bus a little bit. Well, he was upset, and uh, and you know I think that if sometimes if you think you're taking all the blame as a head coach, you are. Uh, if you think that people are expecting a lot out of you, they are. Uh, that's just that's just the nature of the game. I just don't think that you can afford to all of a sudden make it seem like the players, you know, weren't doing their job. When you win, they're doing their job. When you don't win, nobody's doing their job. And I think that's just the way it is. I did not think that Oakland had the talent to beat a ready-to-play right. Charger team. And I thought the Chargers would be ready to play because they really – we're trying to win one for the Gipper. I mean, this is one where the quarterback is a leader. He's a hands-down. Rivers is a hand-down leader. He is behind Norvin 100%. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but they were going to win that season final game, and that's exactly what they did. For the, the Oakland Raiders to beat them in that regard, they'd have to be a little bit better on pass defense, which they're not. They'd have to have a little bit better pass rush, which they don't, uh, and they need to be a little bit more explosive on offense, which they are not. Do you, let me, I'm interested in asking you this because as I'm listening to you, something occurred to me. We just talked about the evolution of, of a Rex Ryan and how he is now have, going to have to evolve into a head coach to where you have to separate yourself a little bit from the team. And, and that's just the business side of what we do. You've got the players that are all swelling up going, we love North Turner. and we, we, we want this guy to be successful. Is that a good thing from the standpoint? Does not, does not the head coach to a degree have to be feared? That sounds terrible. I don't mean uh, dreaded, but by the same token, fear slash respected. And sometimes can the players become too close to the head coach where they become blinded in terms of 
what it is they need to do. Well, I think what happens with the players, if they like the situation, if they like the way training camp is held, if they like the way the offseason is, if they like the system that they run, if I've been successful in that system, if they like the demeanor of the head coach because he doesn't call guys out or he doesn't chop guys' heads off and stuff like that, let's win for this guy. You know what I mean? And we've all seen that where guys love the way it is. Now, it comes to the point I'm not trying to make it seem like, like Norris off. I'm just saying that they're living in San Diego. <laughs> they're living a life. And they've got a coach who, who's offensive-oriented. So the offensive guys have really been behind North. Defensively, they've had this fluctuation. They've had a lot of different defensive coordinators. This last time, Greg Minuscu played for us uh, in, you know, in the old days at Minnesota. It hasn't quite worked out for him. They're really, the guy who had the most success would have been when Wade uh, Phillips was there. And so I think now, though, uh, you know, it's, it's about Phillips. I mean, Phillip Rivers says... I don't know if I want to get a new system. I like the system that I have. I like the quarterback that we have. The fans and Phillip Rivers are in total opposite. The fans are in an uproar. The fans uh, really kind of want to make a change, and I don't know what the owner, Dean Spanos, is going to do. They also, the fans want to make a change in general manager and A.J. Smith also. Yeah, it's you know it's an uncomfortable subject for us because obviously the respect and there's no nicer guy than North Turner and, no. and and no better probably offensive mind in the game than North Turner. Well, I just I think that that's that's the part of it, and it could be if he does stay, how do, how do we change? And and I don't know what's going to happen, but you know this is not going to be a real fast one. I would say that yeah. the owner is going to look at it. He's going to look at first off. I think he's going to go back and forth. Do I keep the GM? Do I get rid of the GM? Do I keep the coach? Do I keep the GM? Do I get rid of the coach? Do I get rid of the GM? He's going to go through that whole cycle for probably three or four days. And maybe even longer, which is uh, goes back to what we talked about, the need and the understanding, the fundamental knowledge of what has to happen in this league and when it has to happen to give you the best chance to go forward. Because here's what you end up doing. If you take too long in the process and you make a change and now you've got a head coach, but his number one or two options available for some of the guys he wanted are not available. Now he's got to go to plan C, D, and E. And now things don't start real well in the first year. And it's like, well, look, these aren't the guys I wanted anyway. Absolutely. So now, I, now I'm going to change them out. And now I'm a year behind the curve, so it's a large dynamic that uh, that a lot of moving parts. Let's talk about the wild card weekend a little bit and how we size it up. Let's talk about the AFC. Pittsburgh versus Denver. Now the Tebow thing is up and down and, uh, and all over the place. You're looking at uh, the, the storied history of the Pittsburgh Steelers. All they represent, they have to go into Denver. Right. Uh, Tebow time. I don't want to say they backed into the playoffs, well, but they did. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, <they're eight> eight. <laughs> you always cut to the heart, coach. That's what I love about you. What What does Denver do to try to win this? I, you game? know what? I'm, I was wrong. I felt they should loosen up a little bit, but uh, clearly he's not ready for that. I think that they have to get back down to less than 15 throws, maybe eight, nine completions, try to get some big plays, run the ball real well, try to get pressure, uh, you know, and, and try to make uh, Ben, who's, you know, playing with a, with a bad ankle, make him have to move and make him have to get out of there. I mean, the escapability has always been his big thing, third down plays, and the inability to sack him has always been Ben Roethlisberger's big thing, and I think that really gives Denver the only chance. Pittsburgh will not have the pure running attack that they've had in the past, and I think they need that. But at the same sense, I just don't know if Denver 
the way they backed in, uh, and and I didn't think they'd beat Kansas City either, and they didn't. The way they backed in, I think they're going to have a real hard time beating I, Pittsburgh. I'm going to be fascinated to see what Tim Tebow does with whatever Dick LeBeau is going to throw at him from Pittsburgh. <laughs> this is the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is Dick LeBeau, one of the storied coordinators, storied minds in this game. And I think the Denver defense is going to struggle. If you, you know, we were in the, the uh, with, with Barry Sanders all those years, and, and we got to the point where, because we played him twice a year for, what the whole time we were there or not the whole time but and until you had played Barry Sanders before it was eye popping but you had to get past that I can't believe that guy just did that right when you play Ben Roethlisberger and of course I faced Ben for all those years I'm in Baltimore uh even though you got Elmas Dumerville and Vaughn Miller coming off the edge they're going to give him a shot he's going to shrug them off and it's going god I can't believe that guy's not down on the ground it, it takes some getting used to playing a Ben Roethlisberger, and I think that's going to be a difficulty for, for Denver. It sounds like we both think Pittsburgh is going to go in there all but the, being the fifth seed and going to win in Well, Denver. yeah, because it's going to look like they have 13 guys on defense. Yeah. I mean, that's how confusing yeah. Yeah. that they're going to make it for, for um, Tebow. I mean, he's going to look out there, and he's going to expect guys to be certain places. You're not going to be there, and that's why they have to limit the throws. Yeah, let's go on to another one, a fascinating one, Cincinnati at Houston. And because some of the things happened in the Houston game last or yesterday on Sunday, but I, I don't, you can't draw anything from Week 17 in this league, particularly when you have a team like Houston that was playing for nothing, playing a, a Tennessee team that was playing for everything. And some of the decision, they went with DeLome. They sound like they're going to go with T.J. Yates. I think, again, we have the sixth seed is going to go in and beat the third seed. I think Cincinnati is a complete team. When you look at Houston, Cincinnati, they're pretty complete teams. I then have to go to the quarterbacks, and oddly enough, I'm going to go with the rookie quarterback in Cincinnati over the rookie quarterback in Houston, T.J. Yates. Well, I think that, that Cincinnati is just kind of hot right now, and they're having a the kind of year defensively where they can really go in and make plays. Receiving court, they're not well known, but these guys can make plays. They have outstanding athletic ability, and uh, I, I just think that Dalton has established that he can go out and, and make some plays and make things happen. I think Yates had some moments, but he's really, to me, looks like it's finally caught up to him. You know, that old thing where you're doing pretty good for a while, and then all of a sudden, stagnation. I think that's what's happened to Houston's offense. Yeah, Yates reminds me of that the old story of the guy that's thrown off a 30-story building, and at each floor they heard him hearing, so far, so good, so far, so good, until <laughs> so you got to that bottom floor, and it was, holy mackerel. Um, yeah, and I think Cincinnati, because they are a complete team, uh, I think they can go on the road and, and, and win in Houston. I don't think Houston's a really tough place to play necessarily. Got great fans there, but just it's the noise level and such. I think uh, I don't think of – Dalton is a rookie anymore. He's been through the gauntlet. He's right. been through 16 games. Well, especially 16 games when there was a lot of doubt. I mean, right. a lot of people doubted him. The coaching staff believed in him. I think it's paid off for him, and now I think now's the time to get a little bit of When reward. you played the Pittsburgh Steelers twice, you played the Baltimore Ravens twice, you grew up real quick in this league. Detroit at New Orleans. Uh, Detroit, I love Matthew Stafford. you got to what Jim Schwartz has done. Let's remember, three years ago, they were 0-16. Right. you got to love what's going on in Detroit. It was a track meet. I did the, the Lions-Green Bay game, and it was, you know, it shows you – I'm probably no better uh, broadcaster than I was coach because I thought these two teams, you know, Green Bay is going to come out and run the ball, watch this get out of here healthy, and it was. That ball was winged up. It was the second, third series for both teams before we saw our first run. That ball was flying. It was fun to watch. Uh, Unbelievable. 
But I and I love Matthew Stafford. I think he's approaching elite quarterback. Norlands is hitting on all cylinders. I just can't see Detroit going into into the dome and winning. I don't think. I just think that they've got so much going for them. And and you know the Saints want. You know they wanted that that bye week, but they are playing so well. And and uh, clearly they're playing. I think more consistent football offensively than anybody else. And and so I think they're going to be able to go in and light it up. They have the whole package, and that Sproles is so good at running back and in special teams. And then, you know, Jimmy Graham is unbelievable at wide receiver. Uh, Drew Brees is playing well. I mean, they can go in and, and all of a sudden, what you normally have to do in the playoffs, which is, you know, run the ball, play good defense. Well, I don't know how well they can play good defense against Detroit, but I don't know if Detroit can stay with them uh, and what they're going to do to Detroit's defense. And New Orleans so much wants to get turnovers, and Matthew Stafford's been pretty good, other than when he had the finger issue for a couple games. He right. turned the ball over a little bit. That's not an issue. I love Matthew Stafford. I don't think they're going to turn the ball over. I think New Orleans' ability to run will be huge here, uh, particularly against Detroit. This wide nine defense I see everybody running. Just does. It's so hard to mesh that up with the safety coming down, right. the linebackers. You see him get gashed in the CN. D gap, uh, and I think Detroit or New Orleans, that could be a difference. Not to say that it's not going to come down to Drew Brees and that matchup with uh, with Matthew Stafford, but I think Detroit or New Orleans' ability to run the ball is going to be huge in that game, and could be huge for obviously New Orleans going down the way. Last one again, we're talking at least I am in terms of a road team, Atlanta going in. I think the Atlanta Falcons can go in and beat the New York Giants. And I say that because I think Atlanta is configured to run the ball well with Michael Turner. Uh, they've got and, and when New York, who's only so good against the run, has to build that box to stop it, their secondary is a little more vulnerable. And if I can throw Julio Jones, Roddy White, Anthony Gonzalez at you, I think now all but on the road, I understand right. that. But I kind of see Atlanta going in and beating New York. Well, I, I think a lot's going to depend. I haven't checked my, my uh, Iowa Hawkeye Farmers Almanac <laughs> yet, but I'm going to do that once we break for here. And so when we do the coaches show later on, I will have a little bit better answer. But I just think inside, outside, at one point, winner's got to come. I just became impressed with the Giants. I, I, yeah. I you know, I kind of felt all along that Tom Coughlin could get this team to rally and play, and, and that's that same old thing. Nobody likes Tom, but why do they play so hard for him? I just think that they think he can help them win. I think that they feel he'll come with the right plan. And for the last six games of the season, the New York Giants had the right plan. Atlanta has not played well on the road, and and Matt Ryan, an impressive young man, you love being around this guy, but. He's carrying around that burden of winning his first playoff game. Eli's been very good in the fourth quarter. This is obviously they've got a championship pedigree in New York with a lot of these guys that have been into the Super Bowl. So I know I'm kind of sticking out there a little bit with with picking Atlanta to go in. I just think the matchup, they are so they've been so mentally tough New York, but I don't know that they're you know you're in the playoffs now and at the end of the day that talent Whatever you are gets you know expanded in the playoffs, right. and some of the lack of talent, particularly on the back end, I think might show up for New York um, and what they're going to have to do to stop the run. Um, and Atlanta's defense is better than I think a lot of people give them credit for. They're in the middle of the road, but they play hard. I think they're ready to go on the road, but the inconsistency is uh, is a little bit of a concern. So it's going to be a fun weekend. And, oh, and, and as we know, you come out of that wild card. You win the wild card game. You are emboldened, man. It's We're ready to take on the world. You can send me to New Orleans. You can send me to Green Bay. I'm ready to go into New England, the whole world, and everybody gets all fired up, and uh, it's a great time of year. 
It sure is. And you know what I like? These are good teams. I mean, th- yeah. this is not, you know, every now and then you can get there and some teams aren't very good teams. But, I mean, these are good teams and I think they're going to be great matchups. I think when you look at the field of 12, you and I, we won't do it necessarily today, but you could go down every single one of these teams, with the exception of maybe Denver, in my opinion, uh, and Houston because of the quarterback situation. But across the board, you could take every team and say, okay, here's two or three things that tells me this team can go and win a Super Bowl. Right. But with every team, and I mean Enver, every, and I'm including New, uh, New England and Green Bay, that have that. Denny, we're talking about two teams with, yeah, Tom Brady and, and Aaron Rodgers that are 31st and 32nd in the league in total defense. When did we ever think we could see the number one seed in both conferences as being second to last and last in the league in defense? Well, I think the only way it can happen successfully would be get big leads and then you play soft, and that's happened. I mean, I think New England has come back a lot and won games from behind. Uh, the Packers have jumped out front, but it's it's not a formula that anybody should feel comfortable with. And as a result of that, though, I think that's what could be unique. In other words, when you can't stop the run, you still make yourself vulnerable. If it's a low-scoring game that makes yourself vulnerable, if you can't you know, really play good defense, you're vulnerable. So I like them both, but I think they're both vulnerable. Yeah. Harrisburg logic says at some point you got to play defense, right? <laughs> Eventually you got to stop the run. I love that Harrisburg logic. <laughs> That's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast presented by Bud Light. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. And make sure I hear from you. You can tweet me at Coach Billick. I'd love to hear what you want to hear Denny and I talk about. Also be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 630 Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.